Hello and welcome to the Holy Hour Podcast. It's the bi-weekly all-cure podcast. I am Gavin. Welcome and I hope you're doing well out there. We got a wonderful show for you this evening. We're finally doing it after, what, seven years of keeping this show rolling. I've uh, been tiptoeing around this one for a long time. And uh, tonight is the night. Pictures of you featured all episode long. We're going to be talking about my favorite song by The Cure. I guess I can say that. I don't know. You can't ever really pick favorites, as we all know. But when people ask, I have to say pictures of you. If you've been listening to this show for any length amount of time, you've probably heard me uh, go down that path intentionally or accidentally where I start just praising pictures of you and I have to make a conscious effort to stop and um yeah so why not let's make a whole episode about pictures of you we've done a lot of other featured songs so go back check them out but um yeah surprisingly you would think we've done this a billion times but nope tonight is the night it's gonna be little old me but I got some help from our patreon crew and uh I got a lot to say about this song I tried to get uh, uh, pumped up before recording this. I was like, all right, I got to get into my pictures of you mood and uh, get myself all revved up for the genius and brilliance of this song. And I pulled up the video on YouTube. I was watching it, starting to get into it, and then I started reading the comments. Ooh, good God. It was just like I just started bawling, man. There's so many stories of people just posting these really personal uh relations to this song and stories and memories most of them are all about like losing people which is (laughs) like like permanently losing people um and it's just so sad i was like just bawling my eyes out here um usually my go-to cry fest is jim henson's funeral if you're ever needed to just just let it out um i recommend that one it's a good one but uh geez yeah this one looks like so many people i'd read some of them for you but they're so personal and weird i couldn't do that without their permission even though it's on a public platform so uh, i guess if you're wanting to sob all night go check out the comments in the youtube (laughs) for pictures of you but uh yeah i guess i'm pumped up here we are pictures of you and um yeah, I mean, but that in itself is kind of why I love this song. It's so personal to so many people, and it all varies a little bit, you know? Things that have, like, nothing to do with the song. People can relate this song to parts of their life, to their, you know, losing a loved one, losing a, a child. There was people losing everything, relationships, you know? I mean, none of this gets mentioned directly in the song lyrics or anything, but there's something about the lyrics the music that conveys all these big emotions so sincerely and just really hits you in the gut. I mean, how long? Jeez, how long is this going to happen? We joke about this with pretty much every gear song, but those big ones, this just like heaven in between days, it just still baffles me and blows my mind that hearing these songs now, you still get the chills, you still get the the sinking in your stomach you still get the excitement you still get the goosebumps everything is still there if not more even strangely it's like how could a song that we've heard this many times not just be like i wish i still felt the way i did when i first looked into pictures of you's eyes but i do the love is still there stronger than ever 
Maybe this is Valentine's residue or something, but uh, it, it's crazy. The song just never gets old, never gets like, or it comes on. I'm like, eh, I'm just not feeling it today. I mean, sure, it's happened to a few people out there, but uh, I don't know, man. The power of this song, it, it's pretty mind-blowing, and uh, it's been going for a while now. So let's dive into some of the specific facts as we love to do just to catch everybody up on the statistical dry side of pictures of you before I start really uh, gushing again with my sentimental bullshit. So uh, let's dive in. It was the fourth single off of Disintegration here in the U.S. anyway. Uh, I, I reckon it would be the third in the U.K. Did they ever release Fascination Street in the U.K.? don't think so so we had fascination street first um gone into lullaby into love song into the pictures of you and while doing this i could have sworn as a kid that uh it was uh fascination street um love song lullaby pictures of you but everything i'm looking at says that it was uh love song into pictures of you but anyway point being pictures of you was the fourth and final single off or, or third and final single off of disintegration march 19th 1990 so a good 10 months after the album had been out so just one shows you how amazing disintegration is where they kept it rolling that long and uh holding on to this song that blows my mind still like you have this you know it's gonna be a single arguably your best song ever um and they're not they're just eh, we'll put it out it'll be the last single you know maybe they just wanted to go out with a bang but uh that's some some i, I would love to know whose idea that was more you know we always hear about the robert and chris perry battles back and forth of picking the singles and when and which ones to release when and if they were both in agreement on this or what it just seems crazy like that would just drive me crazy if i was in a band and had this song i mean it's not like they weren't playing it and stuff or people weren't hearing it but i mean just releasing it to the world officially as a single 10 months after the album had been out it wasn't even 1989 anymore we always associate 1989 with disintegration but this is 90 now so like a whole new decade for the cure maybe they wanted to start the decade on a on a bang there so that's that's a good way to do it but um yeah and surprisingly it didn't dominate the charts really weird um i remember as a kid being like ah oh, because i was so happy that love song did great and it climbed up the charts i've told the story a billion times of like my mom used to always put the casey Kasem top 40 whatever it was the countdown on sunday mornings on and i'd wake up and stagger up the stairs i was like uh sixth grade at this point um and uh you know and i'd listen to the top whatever countdown whether you know grunting the whole time that none of these songs were as good as the cure how come there are always crap songs on the on the billboard being a jaded sixth grader i don't know why i was such a music snob at sixth grade but at the same time yeah i was right um, i was into all these other bands and none of them got played on there you know so it was kind of nice when one would slowly creep in and i'd hear them they'd usually fall really fast once they did debut or even peek into the top 40 or whatever but love songs just kept scratching its way up and every week it was a little higher a little higher and i was so happy for them and all um so i was like all right well they're, they're gonna blow it off the freaking face of the 
you know, planning it once they put out pictures of you because clearly that song, as much as I love love song pictures of you, I was like, come on, that's it's perfect. So um, yeah, I was surprised. I don't know. I don't recall ever even hearing it. I guess because maybe it was top forty. It only reached uh, Billboard. Uh, let's see, seventy one on the Billboard Hot one hundred. It only reached a seventy one. Um, it would make it to nineteen on the alternative airplay whatever the hell that is um this is starting to get around the time where they really jumble up the the different billboard charts but yeah the billboard alternative airplay one they made it to 19 though so i guess that's good um even in the uk though it only made it to 24 uh, which is just baffling lullaby was their big one right um made it to two i believe too right um so yeah, I mean, twenty four is still fucking great. It's like a you know almost top twenty single, um, seventy one I guess is I guess still good in the U S. Um, but considering how awesome Love Song did, I thought for sure that would be like all right, get on the coattails or going in at least top forty for a while, you know. So I don't know. I guess just further proof that the billboards are ridiculous and stupid, and nobody should really dwell on them so we won't let's move on you know so let's just pick apart the song a little bit like i said it's it's my go-to say it's the favorite song i always say just like heaven's the best pop song ever written and uh pitches you is just my favorite song ever you know because i kind of get why it might not be everybody's bag because it gets a little long um and you kind of have to really get into the groove with it a little bit. Um, I could see, you know, how like Just Like Heaven's a little bit more of a impatient, straight to the point pop song, kind of perfect pop song. But uh, so I could see it. So, I mean, it's it's my favorite, but I wouldn't declare it the best song ever written for everyone, um, even though it should be. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it has it all, really. It's got great lyrics, great music. It's versatile, like I was saying, in mood. You can adapt it to so many things, like we said, of many Cure songs, but this one in particular really just fucking the whole spectrum of emotions. It's catchy still, too. So, I mean, as much as I love the emotional side of everything, um, you know, and it really just hits you in the guts after all those listens, it's catchy, too. You know, you throw it on in a good mood, you you can dance to this and get around and have a good old time, too. You know, it's a, it's a fun, beautiful song, too. So I love that it has that range, you know. It it doesn't need your shitty mood or happy mood to make it work. It can bring you to that mood. Thinking back again, I feel like it was love at first listen. Um, I remember driving home. Well, I wasn't driving. Riding home with my mom from the mall. Sixth grade me and... Um, you know, I remember being a little baffled, but loving playing song because the vocals were so quiet. I was like, oh, I guess they're getting like faith again or something like where it's real mumble cure. But I loved all the strings and everything. So, so I'm bored with, with that, but a little confused by it. And then as soon as I heard like the chimes and it went in to pictures of you, it was kind of like, I don't know. I just, it was weird because I don't remember being like blown away like the first time when I'd hear In Between Days or Just Like Heaven or something, but it was just like the whole package of disintegration, I think, was something that just I just took, you know, very natural to. 
Um, it was almost like I was like, okay, yep, here's my favorite song for the rest of my life when I heard Pitches Here for the first time. But I wasn't like over the moon, like, oh, I got to rewind this and send it. It was kind of like, let's hear the rest of the album. Like, of course, The Cure was going to put out my favorite song now ever um, with this album. It just made total sense. You know, like I said, I was 12 at the time, but I already knew and came to expect that The Cure was going to write my favorite song. So I was like, here it is. It's finally caught up. You know, <laughs> I caught up to it or it caught up to me or something, but the moment had come. So it's pretty fucking weird, really, when I think back on it now, where I was just like, yes, this is perfect. What's the next song? You know? And then, of course, I would just go back and listen to all of it, you know, over and over again. But it was always, a, you know, a part of the full package. And I think that kind of helped it, too, you know, where it wasn't just this kind of stranded uh, pop song that's, you know, like you get so many albums where there's just that one great song on it. You're like, all right, well, clearly this song is so good that it kind of makes the rest of the album suck because this song is so good. Um, it wasn't like that with Pictures of You, which is so weird. Um, you know, it, it just was such a good team player and, and blended in with the rest of the album while standing out as being such a... A perfect song. I'm going to say the word perfect a lot in this, so just brace yourselves. Um, so Pictures of You was among the few earliest songs written for the album, apparently. Uh, as we dabble some facts into this that I've looked up, the the Robert Smith home demo um, dated April 88. And um, so on the uh, deluxe reissue. So that was a couple months before they even took the demos to Boris's house in Devon. And uh, had the sessions there where they started to pick which songs they were going to continue working on and, and figure out which ones were which a little bit more. But um, Pictures of You is at least in, in good form uh, around then. So let's hear a demo from Robert Smith's house in April 1988. All right, so you can see it's uh, structurally there, all right, even in April. So uh, all you got to do now is just, you know, recreate it with the band and uh, come up with, like, genius lyrics that don't ruin it, right? So um, before we get to those lyrics, though, let's talk about the music a bit. Um, it's simply beautiful, right? I mean, everything about this song and the way it just grooves and slides along, it, you know, easily could have been or could be my favorite song even without the lyrics as much as I adore the lyrics there's something about the mood I mean it's mostly just two chords too the whole song um, when the change up that seems so drastic when it goes to the E instead and uh, yeah it's very cool just these gliding sliding guitar lines um, you know Henson's taking guitar lessons and he brought that in and wanted to know that main riff and uh, the teacher isn't isn't familiar with the cure at all so he was just showing him the and he was like sliding up to it and uh teacher's like that's cool but you know it might be easier just look for the the notes a little closer you know and like was figuring out these other ways to be like and it just didn't sound the same you know i was like no it needs to be all in one string and uh yeah it's it's something very cool, keeping it simple and beautiful, and uh, it, it's hard to 
hard to uh, imagine that you could really come up with something this, you know, and it's just those layers like we've talked about before with the cure stuff where you just take a few of those, you start piling them on. Um, but this is also a perfect display of the base six is potential and beauty. If anybody's still not sure or confused by this whole base six thing that comes up a lot in cure talk. Um, this might be the perfect example to check it out. Just when you're watching YouTube clips, Robert's playing this on, on pictures of you and you can see just how cool it, of an instrument it is where you, you know, it's just somewhere between a guitar and a bass line, you know, um, and, uh, it works perfect for stuff like this and it doesn't have to be, you know, full on rock out primary style you know and it's just like perfect for these kind of little sliding riffs and things that uh you know would sound really cool high up on a bass too but uh i don't know this one just really seems to capture it for me where i'm trying when i was trying to wrap my head around like so what's up with this basics thing it's like can you only use it when it seems like it's like a bass line more or you know what and um this one kind of cracked the code for me. I was just like, nah, just do it like a guitar riff it would be. But uh, it just adds so much cool weight to it and um, it really works perfectly. And then you'll start to notice the pattern of all these like wonderful Cure songs where he'll just do like a cool little riff, you know, in between a lot of like the vocal phrasings and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, works perfect. So check it out if you're not familiar. Um, but, but musically, it's perfect. Cuts the balance between emotional, slow, sad ballad and a tune that's still poppy enough to be a fun single, like we're saying. It's it's all over the place with that, you know, where it's just a nice, good mid-tempo song. But um, if you're down in the dumps, depending on your mood, it can feel super depressing or it could be super fun. If you're having a good time with your friends and pictures of you comes on, it's like all of a sudden right up there with Friday in Love. It's crazy. Um, just the wide range of, of, you know, tempo and mood of the song or what, but it, it really can cover it all. Um, it, it takes its time, you know. It's obviously like a seven-minute long song, and, um, you know, I always say that's what I love about Same Deepwater as You is the, like, sloth-like pace of that one and you just feel like you're drowning slowly and and just the the breaths between those like lead notes you know you know just like so slow and and i love that just the patience they have and the pace of that but it's kind of the same thing with this i love that they don't rush it and i think that's why i love this like in the album form um you know it, i mean it's probably too slow and long still for your average like radio commercial radio maybe that's why i didn't do as good um or your normal just boring person out there would be like what get to the point you know you're, you haven't started singing in like however long minutes it is before he starts but um but yeah and because it is like the radio version when they chop it up like the edit version, I mean, it's still fucking great because it's pictures of you, but I feel like it it's not the same and it doesn't do justice to the song. It's something about the pacing of the album version that that makes it the perfect version, you know? Like, I feel like anytime I hear that radio version, it's like, uh, like a trailer for a movie, 
you know, that I'm watching. It's like the movie of pictures of you, but I'm only watching the trailer or the highlight reel or something, you know, or it's not the real deal. And then of course, you know, extended mixes are always just extended mixes. If you're not like dancing to them or something, I don't really need it to go even longer than it is, but at the same time, you know, it could drag out. So like this album version really is the definitive way that it should be heard. Um, Maybe, you know, I guess if you're trying to put it on like a mix or something, then I understand they had to make like a radio edit because you couldn't just blast everybody with the full seven minute version of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, maybe, I don't know, saying it out loud now, I think there is a lot to that where maybe that's why it didn't do as good in the charts because when you do chop it up and make it a shorter pop song, it doesn't really have the same punch, you know? I think it does if you know the full thing and you know you're hearing the short version or whatever. But um, if you just walk it into it, you're kind of like, huh, oh, okay, it's nice, but it's not top 10 quality or something, you know? So who knows? But um, I prefer the long version if I'm, you know, demanding pitches of you. It's got to be the long version. No matter how much room it takes on your mixtape, you got to put it on there. The only argument I would have is live. It sounds fucking brilliant. Um, and... You know, that could be a, a good alternative if you need to hear pitches of you and don't want to hear the radio edit and stuff. Um, a wide selection of amazing live versions out there. My personal favorite, I think I'd have to go with the show one because it's just, they nail it. I don't know, something about it um, and the performance, the emotion in his voice and delivery is just perfect. You would think it would be the entreat one. I think he flubs some lyrics or something in there or he switches something where, you know, like, um, it's easy to flip the verses on that. And he's done that a few times live where you start to sing the, the last one first and then, but then you catch it and you kind of flip it back. And I think he does something like that on Entreat. Um, I can't remember exactly why, but there's a little bit where it's close passion wise and everything is great, but, and it's from the era. So you always want to choose that one, but I think I gotta go with the show one. It's pretty much a perfect rendition of Pitches of You. And and it's one that just keeps getting better. I feel like there's never been a, a downtime where it was like, eh, during 2001, it was just really dragging or something. You know, it's always just been solid. So, um, and no matter the lineup or what, you know, I feel like everyone does a great job of just nailing it so live go check them out what's your favorite live version of pitches that you could sub question speaking of other versions of pitches of you um I guess it's as good spot as any to plop in the fact that Robert and Roger did re-record the song for a uh, documentary in 2019 called Dead Good. If you hadn't been um, in the know on that, it's a, it's a good documentary too. I checked it down. Uh, sad, really depressing. It's about uh, the cost of funerals and burial processes in England and elsewhere um, and the whole ritual behind it and everything. So depressing, but kind of in a nice way too. But they drastically slow it down and added uh, strings, so just Robert and Roger and some strings, and um, the, yeah, it's very technically beautiful, and, and, and I wish it was more widely available. Um, 
I stripped the audio from the from the documentary so I could have a version of it. But uh, I wish it would pop up on streaming stuff or something out there. Um, would be nice. We can add that to the list, right, of things to be, to be actually released from the band. But um, it, you know, it, it still not doesn't outdo the new. You know, as much as on paper it sounds like this would be my ultimate version of Pictures of You, like super sad, slowed down even further, even more emotion, drain it. But uh, yeah, it doesn't top the, the actual album version still. It's almost a little too slow and, and, you know. But again, making that death connection to the song. So, yeah, as we get into that kind of stuff, the lyrics is really what um, brings it all home, if you will. Um, the vocal performance, even at the top of this, is just amazing. Like, all oh, disintegration, really. Um, you know, Robert's delivery of all these lines and the performance on, on that album really makes it the greatest album ever. <laughs> I'm starting to say that more and more with a straight face. I started as a joke as we were starting to do more and more disintegration episodes around the anniversary there. And uh, I declared, you know what? Disintegration is the greatest album ever. You know, we all agree. But, you know, saying that to the normies out there, you know, there's a lot of great albums that have been recorded. But I honestly feel like now it's it's a very valid argument. And my face has become more more and more straight every time I say that I think we're I'm like it is <laughs> why not convince me otherwise one of those deals but um that in mind the delivery of pictures of you is just perfect really I mean he really knew he had a gold mine here I think and delivered it with so much emotion and passion and just the way it was sung is it's just really mind-boggling again if it was you know, just half-assed like most artists do, it wouldn't nearly have the same impact or lasting power that it does, I think. Um, it really makes an amazing lyric seem that much better when, when the delivery is that convincing and sincere sounding. Um, and it's the romantic side of The Cure that I love so much and its finest. And I've touched on that in really early episodes where, you know, I think that's what I really love about certain avenues of cure songs you know they do everything so great but there really is something about these kind of romantic songs a bit more that won my heart initially and still are always my favorite you know so um a letter to elise comes close but it's a little too literary you know in the sense of being my number one because you know it seems like it's a specific thing he's drawn from doesn't feel quite as personal, you know, maybe. Um, so this one, you know, really just has it all, you know, of that side. It's just vague enough. I've said this before, too, but I, I really can't say it enough where you can adapt it, you know. Um, there's, there's certain ways of songwriting and lyric writing where you can tell the story and, you know, that's great if you can do the whole Springsteen map out the story and you're like driving down the car with the person and the, the sweat on their head and the car and you're describing everything and it's like that's fucking cool you're telling this 
really descriptive story, but at the same time, if you're not feeling that, then you're just listening to a story, really, you know? And then it can get too vague sometimes where it's just like, oh, you know, Pixies even. As much as I love some Pixie shit, it's like, what are you talking about, dude? This is makes no sense. And, you know, sometimes that's cool. It's like abstract art. You make out of it whatever you need to or want. But Robert's really good at cutting the difference where it paints this song in particular just paints such a vivid picture with like details and images uh, i think we all have like a specific little movie going through our head every time we hear this song and uh you know everyone's is different though you know that's what's so cool is that you adapt what you need to into it and it's just vague enough where you can take a couple lines and it seems like it was written exactly from your diary or you know ripped from your heart says everything that you want to say and then the next few are kind of like huh yeah they're just kind of more poetic and don't really adapt to anything so i always love that and uh i feel like you can identify with that a lot easier even more so than like you know other people that you consider great lyricists out there you know they all have their specific avenues but robert's great at that where it's just vague enough where you can identify with it um but it can say exactly what you're you're feeling so i mean some of those favorite lines are everybody's i'm sure crying for the death of your heart um you finally found the courage to let it all go of course the number one i think is if only i thought of the right words i could have held on to your heart i mean when the fuck have we not felt that way about someone or something, you know? It's like, if only I'd thought of the right words. Um, which is kind of a reoccurring thing, you know? It taps on a lot into disintegration or these past moments of regret and, you know, Untitled and Last Dance and things like that. They all kind of have that vibe. And, um, you know, when is that not going to tug at your heartstrings too, you know? So... Uh, there's nothing in the world that I ever wanted more than to feel you deep in my heart. It's, I mean, and they're not like over the top, you know, flowery language here. This is a lot of just kind of casual, like stating the obvious in a sense lines, but just said perfectly, written perfectly. And then that vocal delivery just makes it feel, you know, you could have a real shitty song saying... Only a thought of the right words, and you're like, derp, 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 derp. it just wouldn't have the same, you know, effect. It wasn't so much that it's a clever line; it's just sincere as fuck. And I think that's why we all can gravitate towards it and latch it on and identify with it so hard. So. And it's cool when you are analyzing the song. It's like the listener still isn't really sure who is to blame if anyone's to blame it just feels regretfully over and um, maybe that's the worst kind of breakup or ending where it's not really anyone's fault and um, that's what makes it so much more poignant you know maybe maybe it didn't have to go this way but if he had just thought of the right words you know um but yeah, that's that's a cool approach to the songwriting and definitely makes it hit harder. 
on some personal notes. Let's see. Uh, oh, God. Let's share. Let's share her feelings. Um, I have a funny story I told probably early on, so any new listeners, I'll, I'll tell it again for you guys. But um, it's kind of funny. Uh, where was this? A couple years into Disintegration, maybe. Maybe like about a year or so after it came out. But I was really absorbing it all. I remember kind of getting my first like real crush you know it was definitely just neighborhood hanging out whoever you hang out with the most you're probably gonna end up having a crush with when you start to get into that late middle school age and such um aside from you know like princess leia or samantha fox or something <laughs> this was a, a real actual human that lived on my street so uh so i just remember as goofy as this was like we were all just hanging out and i was like i need to get one of those little disposable cameras and just take some fun pictures of everybody hanging out <laughs> it was like solely for the purpose of like so i could have photos of her and all of us and just like kind of be sad and look at them later <laughs> while listening to this fucking song and have like a more meaning to this song you know like actual pictures and 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 it was weird. I didn't even really like try to be with her or like make the relationship happen of any sort. It was more, I was more interested in, <laughs> in like the sadness of the song and it just being like regretfully over before I even like attempted to make anything of it. So, um, which is probably some shit, you know, some therapy. <laughs> Why was I doing that? It was easier just to be depressed and, and alone, I guess. But um, I remember just specifically having that little disposable camera being like, I need some some photos. Then I could be really miserable when I listen to the song and I can like look at her and the photos and the times we had and now it's all over. And it wasn't really over. We're all still just hanging out. But I had these photos. Weird. Kids are fucking weird, man. I guess we're all still weird, but who knows? Um, to this day, the song has followed me for all my ups and downs. Every goddamn relationship, really. I feel like I've played this song immediately after every breakup. Usually probably like a full disintegration play. So, um, but you know, you're kind of just fucking you know, soaking in, in plain song and then pitches you kicks in and the, the, the lyrics and it, it hits him a little bit more, but, um, yeah, you know, and it's just kind of like always the one like, Oh, we're doing this again. It's over. I fucked up. I'm going to put on disintegration pitches. You, where are you at? Come to my rescue. And, um, but the funny part is that it's like too powerful of a song to fully associate with one person I've realized over the years for like, this had been, you know, I was listening to this and being sad before I had any relationships, just that little crush. It wasn't even a relationship. Um, and then it followed me. Not that I've had many billions of relationships by any means, but every one of them that ended poorly, um, which they all did leading up to <laughs> finally finding the perfect girl and being married. But, um, yeah, it, it it's weird though, because usually, you know, you do kind of mentally associate a song with a breakup or with a specific person, and you know, it's kind of the beauty of it, right? Um, most of them, you are kind of latching that on, but um, you know, something about disintegration in general in this song, um, I wouldn't, I don't know if I, 
if it was intentional or I wouldn't let it be ruined by like a, a relationship or a specific person. Um, cause I, I, you know, definitely remember specific moments of listening to this song and having good times with that person too. That's why it made it a little sad, more sad when I listened to it alone at the end in the aftermath and such, cause there are memories associated with all of them, but I feel like the song is so powerful that it doesn't even do that. It's like it was there before them and it'll be there after them. So maybe, um, yeah, maybe that's like some intentional thing I threw into it. I don't know. I'd be curious if other people feel that way, but I feel like, uh, I'm going to give the credit to the song where it's just like too good to associate with a relationship, you know, isn't going to last. And it's more like, that reliable friend you know that you can always turn to um he's like i was here all along pictures of you was carrying me on the beach right but also yeah like um the fact that it's not even relationships, you know. I always joke that I make everything into a love song or whatever, but the fact that this crosses even beyond like like romantic relationships and so many people, myself included, it becomes about like death of a loved one um and losing somebody like for fucking real, losing somebody. Um so that's odd maybe because we all have these memories and pictures and you know after we lose someone that's all you have so it really is more identifiable that way when you're you know looking back at photos of somebody that is no longer here and um that's all you fucking got so it, it hurts a lot more and hits you even though it feels like this relationship them kissing in the rain and everything is definitely more of a romantic relationship but for some reason it's so easy you know i think <laughs> i feel like i've read like tons and heard so many stories of people where you can just identify the song you know after parents die you know i couldn't help associate it with that you know even um i lost my mom when i was real young or you know super young 18 um but, uh, and then my dad passed away in 2016 and, uh, we went and saw him on that tour and it was the one that got me, you know, like so many people, um, just lose your shit. When you hear the song live, you start thinking of that stuff and uh, it's so weird cause it's not like the saddest cure song out there by any means. Um, you know, either faith or same deep water as you on, it's like, pff, that's way more depressing. But, um, but yeah, I've heard from so many people and, and people that just their stories of losing their shit at a cure show and particularly live. And like most of them are always during pitches of you. It's really weird. Um, I don't know. It's, it's something that I think is very easily adaptable to that too. Even if all the lyrics don't perfectly match up to fit that, um, and just the fact that it got lumped into that movie about funerals and the grief, you know, like funeral process and the ritual of death. And all. It's like clearly, you know, this is beyond me just being overly sappy and it's, it's sentimental. But um, 
So yeah, it, it's very weird that a song could have that kind of like power and uh, and still again not get totally associated with that, you know, where you can definitely lose your shit to this thinking of somebody that's gone, but it's not like you can't listen to the song anymore because of that for me anyway. Um, I hope most people out there feel the same. Um, and then a funny association too. Um, it went full meta or whatever, as much as I don't like using that, um, idea, but the last time seeing them, I'm curious if anybody else has had this where, um, when I saw them at Austin City Limits in 2019 there, last show that was the last show for so long before uh, this most recent tour. Um, it was weird. It hit me very emotional. I started to tear up just seeing them during Pictures of You. And it became about the cure, you know? Like, uh, like how fucking long have I been looking at pictures of this band? <laughs> you know? Or it was like the you know not so much losing them but i guess knowing that at some point could be soon could be years from now we're, we're not gonna have them forever um you know it doesn't have to be like death scenario but they just you know need to retire or something you know and we won't have them forever and just knowing that 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 nothing is forever as they say and um and yeah, I remember just almost like, I think I did just start crying a little bit, you know, I was like tear it up and I was just like, oh my God, it, it makes sense. It's like, I've been looking so long at these pictures that you almost believe that they're real, you know, and, and there they are real, you know, and, and there it was. And, and you know, you're never, you're never going to break apart these pictures kind of thing. And I don't know, it, it doesn't match up lyrically, but at the same time. I was like, holy fuck, the song's about them. It was them all along. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's like pull it together, Gavin. Just enjoy the, the moment. <laughs> um, as far as lyrics in the moment of the song and stuff, uh, Christian Gerard, who wrote the Cure FAQ book, and we've had Christian on the show, but um, he had a great point in the book and uh, getting more into the meaning of Robert's angle of the lyrics and such, which is a whole, whole fun road to go down when you really start digging into this song. But um, referenced Robert referenced in an interview apparently uh, the comparison of pictures of you, pictures of you with um, how beautiful you are from Kiss Me. And um, the idea that you're having to let go of a perception of an image of somebody uh, because that portrayal may not be an accurate representation of who they really are. Um, and confronting the truth of someone versus like your idealized version. And how fucking true is that? Like is it when you think back on relationships and stuff and you are just reminiscing and looking at these photos and... It could be like even like a photo of when the relationship was going good and you're both like having a great time and smiling and you know that shit was going to go bad and it wasn't going to last. But you have this captured moment in the photo that you're looking at and you're clinging so hard to that idea of how that person was in that specific time. And uh, eventually you kind of have to let it all go, you know, because it's not real. That's not who they are. That was your idealized version. And, um, you know, it all kind of makes sense when you say it out loud. But it is funny that that's all kind of poetically captured in the, the lyrics of that song. And uh, I love that. 
and you know how beautiful you are definitely takes that in a different angle but at the same time that those two songs i wouldn't really on the surface think that they have thematically that much in common but uh maybe there is a lot of crossover there so pretty cool makes me like how beautiful you are a little bit more even <laughs> so um and in another interview from that era robert admitted that the lyrics were inspired by an essay written by myra polio the dark power of ritual pictures it was called um, a picture portraying a past moment is a link a bond from which it's hard to escape it makes you a slave unable to free yourself and being a slave of a photo means that being a slave of a memory which all sounds fucking spot on and great and you're like oh shit and it's kind of along those lines of what we're saying as uh what you throw into the memory and the bond and you can't escape that um and after reading this uh, uh quote essay robert decided to destroy all his old personal photos in a vain attempt to erase his past smith himself admitted that after having torn all those photos he actually felt a strong sense of remorse um so this is a story that's going to come up again here shortly as we start diving into the meanings of the song. But um, the funny part with all that is that that sounds fine and nice and deep and true and all. But he mentioned going through a period around this time where he did destroy a lot of his old movies and photos and stuff in an attempt to erase the past and move on. But the essay that Myra Polio is thought to be complete rubbish actually. Um, because that's just an anagram for Mary Poole and that there's no actual evidence that this essay, The Dark Power of Ritual Pictures, even exists. So that starts to open the door to the uh, myth and the stories behind Pictures of You and the lyrics in particular. So um, shall we? Shall we do this? Okay, let's try because it all leads back to this fucking fire story. The myth of the fire. And uh, you may or may not have caught on over the years of this podcast. And in our billion disintegration episodes. And anytime Pictures of You comes up. I tend to avoid the fire topic. I tiptoe around it and skip over it entirely. Um, so it's time that we face it together head on in all of its inconsistent glory because there's a large amount of press out there that always connects not just the fire that happened while making disintegration in the studio but they connect it to pictures of you too um so what i want to do is read a few samplings here just to show the wide variety in relation to the song and what the fuck happened and how it associates with pictures of you and how it doesn't associate with pictures of you and then what is actually true and what isn't because all these accounts vary drastically and you know a good portion of that could be sloppy journalism people just grabbing something and running with it still i think a lot of it is robert fucking with the reporters and telling these stories and a lot of them don't match up a lot of time in the details so if we do this like a court case um uh, we're gonna have some inconsistencies here so i just want to read you a few of my favorite ones and uh we could piece together the evidence on the other side shall we do this i mean this is kind of a whole sub episode in itself 
the uh, notorious fire that happened at Hook Inn Manor, um, then known as Outside Studio, and during the making of Disintegration. But before that starts, let's just start at the top here. Post-punk.com. We've all been to that website. Some good stuff usually on there. Seems pretty creditable from what I've seen. Um, They said, The inspiration for Pictures of You came about when a fire broke loose in Robert Smith's home. In the aftermath, Smith was going through the charred remains and came across his wallet which had pictures of his wife, which contained seared photos of his wife, Mary, and one of which was used as the cover of the 7-inch. And, of course, side note, same picture, just zoomed in and blurred out for Charlotte sometimes years earlier. Um, A good chunk of years earlier. So he had this old photo, um, zoomed in on it for Charlotte sometimes. That's the photo that's going to be used for pictures of you. So this story is a little weird because it's not in the studio. This is Robert Smith's home now that this fire broke out. Seared the photo. So why isn't it seared in the single cover? Um, Did they make the single cover before he was inspired to write the song? Hmm. But there's no visible. It must not have been seared too bad because they had the photo. Um, let's move on. Mojo Magazine, March 2021. This is that Mojo that came out just recently. Um, so they're pulling from all kinds of other sources. Autumn 1988, they say a fire destroyed Robert's room in uh, Hook and Manor. All right, that's checking out. So this fire sounds pretty legit that happened at the studio while they're making it, but the details are definitely fuzzy. Um, amid the wreckage, He came upon a wallet with photos of Mary dating back through the 15 years that they had been together. Um, One depicting her bare shoulders and neck from above. The photo has been used for the show at sometimes cover and the pictures of you single cover. All right. So in this one, um, the fire is in the studio, but he finds the wallet. Um, He's inspired to write the, the song by the photo in the wallet. Um, had he forgotten it was in there though? Like, how do you get inspired by a photo that's in your actual wallet? Very odd. And we know that he wasn't totally inspired to write the song because the song's already been demoed and recorded in April of that year. So I guess we're talking just lyrics here. So we'll cut him a break on that one. Never Enough by Jeff Apter, the book. This one, um, the fire only got one vague sentence and didn't mention lyrics or photos or any association with pictures of you, which makes me think that the author knew that there was a lot of inconsistencies in this story and totally left it out. Smart man. So um, throwing throwing the evidence out, un- unsubstantial evidence, as they say on Law and Order. Um, going back to our buddy Christian Gerard, his FAQ book did mention the fire, so he's a little braver with it. And he said the fire broke out in Robert's room at the manor where they were recording. Robert ran in and grabbed the satchel with the lyrics and had to relocate to a new room further out and further isolating himself during the session. So Christian was smart. He, uh, Acknowledge the fire. He did throw in that Robert ran in and grabbed the satchel, which we'll have some speculation on shortly. But um, he he kind of focused more on the fact that after that room burnt up, Robert had to relocate to a different room 
And that's kind of what added to the isolation from the band while recording. And that's kind of a big point in disintegration lore is that he kind of, you know, isolated himself a lot. So uh, that comes up a few times in other things, but that's a different different story, different avenue. Um, let's continue on. Wishful Thinking by, oops, sorry, I don't have the author's name. It's not that great of a book, but it's called Wishful Thinking. Um, this one's a little all over the place. It says, Picture to Use is based on Robert's experience of destroying a great pile of old home movies, photos, and documents in an attempt to clean up and break away from the past. So this one doesn't really sound like it was an accident at all. Uh, kind of touches back to that thing Robert said where he was just going through and intentionally burning some stuff and getting rid of shit and, and then got inspired during that process. Okay. Um, disintegration, the liner notes. Is that what this? Yeah, the release liner notes. So this is probably the more convincing tale, or you would think it would be if it's, you know, put in the actual notes for the album at this point for the real issue. So it takes it way beyond just lying to a journalist because you're bored and you want to laugh. Say that it was all handwritten and finished in the very early uh, actual recording process at Hook End Manor. A fire broke out in Robert's room while they were eating dinner. The room was ablaze. Robert knew that they had to get those lyrics. They formed the chain, wet towels on their heads and arms, and Robert got the lyrics. Some were singed by the album, but the album was saved. However, no direct connection to pictures of you, other than the lyrics were probably in this batch of lyrics that were saved. So that's good. And that's the only real connection. It wasn't like inspired uh, to write the lyrics to pictures of you based on that. The lyrics just got saved. Um, a few online things. That Professor of Rock YouTube video um, has quite a good cure episodes. A few of them now. Um, a guy with the hat and the glasses. And uh, he loves to tell this story. It's come up a couple times. I think during the Love Song one and the pictures of you ones he's done. But uh, he tells the tale of them forming the human chain and going into the flames to get the satchel with the lyrics, Robert is the hero. Then, on YouTube too, there's an um, uploaded interview with our man Dave Allen. And in his own words, from BBC Radio 6 during uh, when, when Disintegration Reissue came out and the DJ was... Asking him a lot of great questions. It's an awesome interview. I listened to it right before we talked to him. The reason why I didn't even bring this up to him is because I felt like he covered a lot of this so good that I didn't want to make it redundant. Try to ask the same questions or anything. But um, yeah, so here's what Dave Allen said in his own words, throwing a twist to the story. And uh, can we do the fire? Yeah. Because in the story, the official version, let's say, that's mm. <laughs> gone before the court. Robert Smith uh, says that he had to go back in with a towel around his head to save the satchel of lyrics, handwritten lyrics. Uh, it sounds like an intrepid kind of diehard situation. Uh, you were there. Hmm. Did he go in on his own and save them? No. <laughs> what happened? Uh, I went in and saved them. I wondered if you might say that. Yeah. Well, well done. <laughs> you, should oh. written, you should have written the sleeve notes. I should have done, but um, to be perfectly honest, I don't really come out of it too well either because uh, I did it for a the reason that I'd waited six weeks for him to write the lyrics on the previous album, mm. hanging around in Miraval, and uh, I just thought, no, I'm not doing that. You need those lyrics now. I, it looked doable to me. Mm. There was smoke 
down to a foot mm. above the floor. Um, all the fire extinguishers have been used. The uh, fire brigade was about to turn up. Where are they, Robert? Where are they? And everybody knows me, knows I'm easily mad enough to do that. And you did. And I've always believed in fire walking after that because I had not a single burn. When I pulled the satchel out of the room and dropped it on the ground, it burst into flames. Really? Yeah. Wow. Your magic. Something. <laughs> you know. Please tell me I'm Darren Brown, not Paul Daniels. <laughs> you are definitely more Darren Brown than Paul Daniels, but cooler than him as well. Uh, well look. All right, so he says he saved the fucking lyrics. So, oh, that was the twist I didn't see coming. Um, and, you know, you could almost see him kind of adding an extra layer of the myth there. But he sounded really fucking convincing, didn't he? So I, I kind of believe him over Robert based on other shit Robert said in the press. Um, so, yeah, interesting. So now we got a new twist. And recently we had, um, I had a nice uh, kind of off-the-record conversation with a fellow that knows Perry. I don't feel like I'm dishonoring our conversation and his trust by saying this, but um, he did at one point very casually mention the fire story and how Perry was the one that that saved the lyrics. And I was like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, wait, what? So Perry? <laughs> Perry could have been the one. He wasn't even in the band yet officially, but um, it's come up in a few other versions uh, that Perry was the one. I don't know if they did the human chain and it was just Perry at the end or if Perry just ran in that shit, like backdraft, kicked the door down and grabbed it or what. But um, so now we got two, three potential heroes. So we'll, we'll wrap up with this one. And this is a pretty credible source here, too. This is Roger O'Donnell's disintegration blog. He had it taken down, uh, so apologies for still referring to this, but I think most Cure fans definitely cut and pasted that thing and put in the document and have it saved somewhere, screenshots or something, but uh, it's a great reference to go back to, and you know he's very candid on it too, so that's why I think it's a cool one on this story, because he kind of negates a lot of it, but then heard from other people and um, updated his blog or whatever this was at the time. So it says... Um, from his blog, the recording didn't get off to a great start when a heater put in Robert's room caught fire and destroyed everything in it, including all his lyrics. Perry, who was at the time Robert's personal assistant, made a brave effort to save them, but all was lost. Robert had opened the window in the room as he was always hot and likes fresh air. And one of the cleaning ladies went into the room and shut the window and thought it was because she thought it was cold and put the heater on. Um, we were at dinner eating and somebody smelled smoke. It's lucky the entire house didn't burn down as it was very old and made of wood. So Robert was left with only his memories of the lyrics. I never asked him if he used his original ideas or whether he just started again fresh. I think I would have been devastated. And then he added, okay, Cure World has a very interesting habit of rewriting history. We've all been victim to it from time to time, but this last story about the infamous lost lyrics, which is in itself very entertaining and has been passed on into myth, is apparently untrue. Two sources have told me a leather satchel of lyrics and photos was indeed saved along with most other things. Nothing was lost. So believe what you want. I was there. I still don't know the truth. Or rather, the truth was lost over the years. 
And then he added another update. It said, more information has come to light from a radio interview with Robert during 1990. According to Robert, the whole band formed the chain with towels to enter the burning room. And the lyrics uh, were indeed saved, but the whole wing of the house was burnt down. It seems the truth is that Dave Allen managed to get into the room on his own and save the leather satchel of lyrics. There was some cosmetic damage to the room which was redecorated by the end of the sessions. All along, I thought he had they had all been lost. So, um, so yeah, sounds like Dave Allen still is uh, pretty convincing as the hero here. Um, my conclusions then, and this is all, like he said, believe what you want. Uh, my conclusions were the hook and fire uh, couldn't have inspired entirely the song Pictures of You. At best, someone saved the already written lyrics during that fire for the song that had been written back in April musically. Um, If we believe everything, apparently there were two fires then. So this sounds like BS to me, Robert's home and in the studio, the found photos were at the home fire and the lyrics and photos in the satchel at the studio. Um, yeah. Uh, if the photos were in Robert's wallet, like I said, it's not like finding them would inspire a song lyric right away. A wallet is something you have on your printer regularly. You know what photos are in there for the most part, unless it's like an extra wallet he had that he hadn't used in a long time. But in that case, why would you have an extra wallet laying around that you haven't looked at in a long time at a studio that you're recording at? Doesn't add up. Um, I also suspect that all the photos talk from the fire references or bullshit um that sounds a little too on the nose uh as far as inspiring the lyrics uh the house fire is probably bullshit uh he he may have just been burning some stuff himself at one point to get rid of stuff from the past and then had regrets but um seems like the odds of him being involved in two pretty epic fires within the same year is a bit slim Uh, don't you think and there definitely was a fire at the studio. His lyrics were in that room, and they were grabbed with or without some photos in the satchel. Uh, most likely, the human chain and wet towels part might be an embellishment. Uh, but who went in and actually got them is the biggest mystery. Robert? Perry? Dave Allen? No one? Um, that we may never know. So, hard to say, but my money's on Dave Allen. Uh getting those lyrics sounded pretty convincing in that interview so um who knows you believe what you want to believe like i said all in all i like the story better is just something crazy that happened in the making of disintegration and the lyrics that almost could have never been like the perfect lyrics for that album could have could have never been you know it could have been lost forever uh so i like it in that aspect of the story and nothing really directly uh, responsible for the creation of pictures of you i like it in the preservation of the lyrics for pictures of you but i don't think anything that happened in that studio fire inspired pictures of you so that being said i conclude my my uh, investigation of the fire and loosely based on pictures of you let's wrap up with some thoughts from our Patreon crew. These guys had a lot of good, passionate, on-point thoughts with Pitches You that I agreed with pretty much 100% all the way through. So 
I want to elaborate on something, some things they said and share their thoughts with you guys. Tom is uh, one of our Patreon. And uh, he said, hey, Gavin, my thoughts on pictures of you. I always think of this song as the quintessential Cure song in many ways. In fact, if I had to choose one song to demonstrate all aspects of the Cure sound to a non-Cure fan, it would probably be this one. It's both a long, emotional song, but at the same time can be catchy like a single. How many six-minute-plus songs can we say that about? Um, not many, I'm sure. Then, of course, you have the trademark six-string bass and heartbreaking lyrics. Everything is delivered perfectly whilst encapsulating all the finest Cure elements, and I would also say it's one of Robert's best vocal performances, too. All in all, it's a very epic song in the Cure's canon. One interesting fact you may not know about the single's release, it had the most formats of any Care single released in the UK up to that point, and prompted the chart organizations to change their rules on the amount of different formats artists could release for chart eligibility. I believe it was released on seven or eight different formats across vinyl, cassette, and CD. It was also re-released as a single on CD around 2003, which has become very rare. Thank you. And then I wrote him back. I was like, oh my God, that's like so many of the same points I made. Right on, Tom. I totally agree with you. Um, and, and I do agree, but that was crazy about the, the format stuff. Um, I asked him, um, why was it released in 2003? I wasn't, nothing was coming to mind. As far as a reason to re-release it and he said he believed that the reasons for the 20 or 2003 re-release were twofold one it was featured in the hewlett packard advert which stirred up a lot of interest in the song in the u.s remember those little commercials one of the few times uh cure cure in a commercial um so yeah, that was around that time. And he said, two, it was around the time Join the Dots was coming out. So they used it to promote the package too. The CD single has Join the Dots style artwork as they put Fear Ghost as the B-side. I believe this release is a lot more rare than the original release even from 1990. So yeah, that does sound right. I vaguely remember seeing that um, different color scheme. It's like blue with the red with the silhouette um, for Join the Dots. Doesn't make any fucking sense, though, right? Uh, but that's that's why it adds up, because it sounds like some stupid shit a record label would do. We're, we're going to promote the B-Sides collection by putting out a single. <laughs> it's like, what? That would have been a perfect excuse to uh, put out, like, Halo as a single. It was, with Too Late as the B-Side or something like that. But no, they put out Pitches of You as a single to promote the B-Sides anyway thank you tom uh great insight and crazy about the formats all going nuts around that time that totally makes sense so all you collectors out there get to work um yeah and you know like i said just a lot of great crossover great vocal performance arguably the the uh, the most cure cure song out there if you had to play one cure song for somebody this is a good safe choice for sure 
Um, our buddy Allison also chimed in and said, wow, that's fascinating. I remember the change in rules from the formats. So she was replying to Tom too. Um, I remember the change of formats being introduced to the charts, but who knew it was from the cure that prompted it. Um, I agree with you, Tom, about it being one of Robert's best vocal ever performances. The song has happy and sad connotations for me, and it's definitely my go-to track if I want to have a bit of a wallow in memories of relationships from the past. I prefer to listen to it within a full Disintegration album listen. That makes me very happy. Playing song into Pictures of You and then into Close Down. Perfection. I love the video too. It was filmed in Scotland, I believe, and the snow is real, not fake. Looking forward to the episode. Yeah, so many good points in there too from Allison. I totally agree. That's one of the huge powers of this song is that it really is great for reminiscing and being sentimental and the strolls through the past. And I love what you said about the, you know, song being such a good team player. I touched on it earlier, but in the context of disintegration, it really does um, play well. Uh, it being track two of the greatest album ever recorded, it really does complement the rest of the album while still being such an amazing standalone song, which is very rare. Um, so yeah, it's it's very cool that it can be a team player while still being a single and being considered, like we're saying, arguably the most defining Cure song. Uh, Danny is part of the Patreon too. And Danny wrote such a great song has everything. My favorite thing about this song is when you see this song live. And when I check out different live versions on YouTube, you get that bond between Robert and Simon locked together, sparring as they play the song. It's a special moment that they save for pictures of you. And for that moment, I only see them too on the stage battling it out between the bass magical so yeah i I totally agree um that bonding that goes on during this song in particular is always very sweet in such a cool way um because it comes very early in the set usually and you can kind of see that they're getting their footing and getting loose and uh really just focusing on each other as a band and everything and and you're gonna have a great feel for the entire night set by pictures of you so very cool um, our buddy Matt Fisher also sent in an audio clip, so let's hear what Matt has to say. Pictures of You is my favorite Cure song, full stop. I love every permutation of this song. I love the single mix. I love the extended mix. I like the Entreat version. And I think the version that they play now live in their current configuration is is timeless. And that's the thing about it is this is a timeless song. And while I'm sure Gavin and the crew uh, gave tons of awesome facts and insights into how the song was made, uh, hopefully they talk about the music video too because I really enjoy that. I, I do want to kind of submit it as maybe their most enduring and important song. Uh, when you stack it up to something like, say, the Beatles who have 
they're they're known worldwide and they have so many of these great little two and a half three minute pop hits yesterday i want to hold your hand sergeant pepper etc they also have hey jude which is seven minutes it's a very moving piece like again i my guy prince when you think of little red corvette or if i was your girlfriend let's get crazy then he has purple rain which is again like another very i think it is also seven minutes um kind of like a flushed out emotional piece and that's what pictures of you is and like those three songs in particular they kind of go above what the artist is known for like when i think cure and when i do think cure kind of in the public eye i think that they're probably most known for friday i'm in love at this point maybe love song just like heaven and those are fantastic songs and i love them all uh, but there's just something transcendent about pictures of you that you could take it, like I said, in any permeation and it works. And I'm kind of fading this in and out of a cover from 2009 um, by the Staten Island PS22 chorus. So for international listeners or, or people not in the East Coast, Staten Island is one of the five boroughs of New York City. And it's kind of a kind of a blue collar community. And uh, I, I do want to give this guy credit, the, the choir director. Um, his name is Mr. Breinberg. And uh, these guys are all over YouTube. And it's a, it's a very endearing, <laughs> endearing clips where they'll have kids led by this awesome choir director singing not only contemporary songs, like a lot of pop hits, but also, I would say, like our era's classics. And uh, I think I first saw them doing a cover of Forever Young by Alphaville. And I'm laughing, but it's actually really, really good. Um, but Pictures of You was on there. And uh, I'll definitely send this link to you to Gavin, but just watching uh, a bunch of, you know, 40 to 50 inner city sixth and seventh graders sing this song and they're vibing to it and just having a stripped down version of it played by piano. Uh, you really just, when you're focusing on the, the voices, how good the lyrics are, you know, that just really stands out. You can you can strip away the drums, the bass, the keys, and just really hearing the lyrics against piano. You just realize what an incredible and beautiful song this is, and it is standing the test of time. I almost think it's underrated, as crazy as that is, but yeah, I love Pictures of You. I think it's my favorite Cure song, again. And I uh, can't wait to hear this episode once it's finished, and I really hope they continue the trend of playing this live at every show, which I believe it has been since 2004 or so anyways hope everyone's doing great out there love peace pictures of you bye wow thank you that was a great support for this song and i couldn't agree with you more on everything matt that is uh very awesome and it is funny yeah this song is kind of underrated somehow um us diehard cure fans are always kind of aware of it and uh it's just kind of been around forever they pretty much play it in every live show but still the average schmo like might not know this song you know the fact that it's not like the cure's biggest hits or crowning achievement you know where you could just say pitches you and they're like oh yeah, yeah definitely the cure um though myself and now numerous people are confidently saying that this could be the most defining cure song and and their favorite it is odd that, uh, you know, possibly underrated tune. And yeah, definitely check out this uh, P- PS22 um, 
recording. I'll put a link to those too. Those are awesome. I want to down a rabbit hole for sure with those. There's so many other great ones too. These kids just singing so powerfully and emotional. You know, this teacher really somehow conveyed uh, the emotion in these songs and, and the kids got it 100% when you see their faces while they're singing this. Um, and like you said, it totally just makes you realize how great these lyrics are. It isn't just pop gibberish by any means. Uh, very sweet. Uh, check out all those videos, but we'll put a link to this one in particular. You heard it. It sounded great. <laughs> All right, guys, before we totally wrap up, did have a couple other points. Allison had mentioned the video, and I think that is a huge part of this song and the love that a lot of us have for this is directly connected to the video. Tim Pope directed it, of course, and was shot using Super 8 cameras in Scotland, as she had said, during February of 1990, um, the week of the big snow. So... Um, Robert Smith has mentioned that is the coldest he's ever been before while making that. But yeah, it's a, it's a cool one. It's a great video that just really captures the song perfectly. There's a lot of great behind the scenes footage of this in the picture show VHS. It's kind of the extra forgotten one now. Everybody always, you know, recalled how awesome play out is and that got the re-release and everything but uh picture show is kind of a forgot one because had all the videos which are fine that have resurfaced and aren't that hard to track down but it, it, it like staring at the sea had the little in-between clips of them usually making the video or something and this one has a good little longer stretch of them just kind of walking around it feels very play out where they were um just hanging out and getting ready, going out into the snow, getting in the van, the van gets stuck, and they're kind of mumbling a bunch of shit. As a kid, you could watch a thousand times and slowly decipher what they're saying and just get a glimpse of what it would be like hanging out with the band, you know? How awesome was that? Um, just gotta add that again to the, the long list of things that need to be remastered and reissued. But very cool, um, you know. Check it out if you, if you somehow have missed that over the years. I'm sure it's somewhere on... Uh, well, actually, I'll put it on. I think there was a, a clip on a, on a Tim Pope page. I'll put it on our Facebook page so you can see the outtake there from Picture Show of them hanging out before the making of it. And then the video premiered. I remember personal side of that, too. I could have sworn it was the debut of VH1. Um, it was so weird because I had like a sick day. Um, and I'd stayed home from school and my brothers were very excited to come and tell me in the morning that they had played the video for Pictures of You had debuted on 120 Minutes the night before uh, but this was like the morning and I remember maybe like VH1 was just debuting on our like cable bracket or something so it was something that was a little more uh, fine-tuned because I, I looked it up like VH1 debuted in like 85 so um Maybe it just wasn't widely distributed or something, and we had just gotten it added to our video channels. But uh, I remember it was just like a lot of like old people, you know, like wearing khaki pants, drinking coffee, VJs, and uh, playing lots of Don Henley videos and shit. So it was like, ooh, I wasn't that excited. But then like they played the video on VH1 during the day, and I distinctly remember watching it. And you know, I'd watch it off the tape earlier that my brothers recorded. 
But um, it was very cool. I was in seventh grade by that point because it had stretched into the next year. So I just turned 12, I guess. So uh, yeah, very distinct memory. And it's so weird because it's like this video is one of the few examples of a video not either sending an image of a song in a different direction or not ruining it. Um, and it, it's like it doesn't even paint a new image. Like it complements the song so perfectly. Um, even for Tim Pope, that's a tough thing to do. Some, some visions, you know, are similar and they're always like accompanying the song, but other times they'll just totally butcher it. And I wish I could remember like what pictures or video kind of story I had in my head to this song before seeing the video. Um, cause you know, you always kind of hear the song and you kind of picture some little video in your head or I do anyway. <laughs> and, uh, then when you see it, a lot of times, you know, obviously it won't match, but um, I kind of feel like it was always this, you know, I feel like it was always snowing and, and them, you know, just kind of grainy footage with that Super 8 footage and stuff, but maybe it just stretches back so far, but it's weird with the snow reference too, like, he doesn't even really say snow in it much, it's just like a metaphor, the wider than snow part. It's not like... It's a huge concept in the song. Um, rain actually makes more sense. There's like, actually, I mean, it was kind of a rainy snow in the video, but um, <laughs> but yeah, it's weird because you just, I feel like you always just think of snow now when you hear pictures of you. I'm sure that stemmed from this video, but at the same time, I felt like it was always there. But I guess as we wind down, maybe that thought does help us go full circle as i said hearing this song as a wee little boy back in 1989 for the first time i kind of felt like it was always there like it was always part of me and i knew it was always gonna be a part of me and uh you outgrow a lot of shit as you go old and um this one just isn't part of that it's only grown with me like i said like a friend like a family member like a partner uh it's it's just this a simple part of a greater album that does the same thing but at the same time the song just outshines it all you know and and i hope that lasts forever um i can't imagine a day where i put pictures of you on and don't feel something um it's gonna be a very sad day and uh, i really hope that day never comes i have pretty much good faith that it won't but at the same time uh, it's something to worry about. <laughs> Let's add that to the list, right? But, um, yeah, it's my number one. I love it to death. So thank you so much to our Patreon buddies that contributed their thoughts and, um, helped out. Matt, Danny, Allison, Tom, you guys are awesome. Thanks to everybody else out there that was just curious and hearing how this would plan out. I know I rambled probably worse than ever but you knew it was gonna happen right so um it's out of love hopefully you'll cut me a little more slack thanks for listening love you guys talk hard oh thank you thank you you're too kind too kind and thank you to the Patreon crew for participating in this episode and making every episode a delight and 
could not be possible without you guys. If you're interested in participating in episodes like this in the future and want to check out our Patreon, I highly recommend you go on over to patreon.com slash the holy hour podcast and see what we got brewing over there. And you'll be in great company, just like Donna and Craig, Jeff Hilton, Jeff Cortland Jones, Sue, Ben, John, Allison, Alan, Dione, Namicia, Danny, Coulter, Matt Ford, Tom Johnson, Letty, Tom Burns, and John Roberts. And of course, Dana is a motion designer and animator, and you should totally check out her work at graphics.tv. That's graphics with an X dot TV. There you can see her motion graphics reel and get a sampling of some of her superbly talented artwork. And you can also reach out to her if you are in need of an animator or motion designer to promote your business or project. That's at graphics.tv. Scott Kruger is a co-host of the Sarlacc Digest, an all-Star Wars podcast, and you can watch and listen to them live every Wednesday, 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on YouTube, or catch the replays everywhere that you listen to podcasts. Each week they bring you quality line talk and dive deeper into all things Star Wars. Mandalorian Season 3 is coming up, so uh, get to know the gang before all the madness really sets in. Uh, maybe you'll see me over there in the chat. There's the, they call it the pit, and you can drop in, and we can subtly drop cure references back and forth. It'll be great. So uh, come on over Wednesday nights, 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, Sarlacc Digest. And take Lisa's advice and check out Dickens. That's Canada's hippest venue at DickensYYC.com and find out all about their upcoming shows and events. And you can also follow them on Twitch at DickensYYC for all live streaming action. Matt Fisher is not only an articulate and amazing thoughtful man that always contributes quality thoughts to this program, but he also has another quality thought for you. He suggests you check out the Red Cross Blood Donor app. It's free and easy to use. Find a location and schedule an appointment. Donate some of that juicy blood with the Red Cross Blood Donor app. Kate at CureThreads.com. Yeah, that's her. Wants you to know that she is still running her Cure Fan Art Challenge Artist of a Lost World. So you can continue to submit artwork at any of any medium uh, and is inspired by one of the new five Cure songs that we know. Just hashtag Artist of a Lost World on Instagram and everybody will be sure to follow that hashtag and see all the cool Cure-related art. And speaking of cool Cure-related art at CureThreads.com, that's where you can find all of her cool designs and a wide range of clothing and other products. And of course, last but not least, 17 Second Shirts, Chaz's website, where he has all the coolest Cure designs waiting for you. So go on over, pre-order at 17secondshirts.bigcartel.com and lock it down. And you can follow him on 17 underscore seconds on Instagram to see when the latest designs are posted. Okay, for us, subscribe on Apple, YouTube, anywhere you listen. Follow the Holy Hour podcast on Instagram and like our Facebook page so you can see all the extra little tidbits and nuggets that we throw out with each episode for you guys. You're always welcome just to email me directly at gavinconnor at gmail.com. 
Thanks again to the Patreon, and thanks to you guys for listening. Hope you all enjoyed this Pictures of You love fest. We are hoping to follow this up in the next episode with a nod to the classic DVD trilogy. We are approaching its 20th anniversary. What? Can you fucking believe it? 20 years. 20 years since trilogy came out. And brace yourselves. Imminent news. Any day now. Any week now. Very, very, very super soon. Imminent. Imminent. It's imminent. (sighs) Till next time. I ever wanted more to feel you